0: Well, I just wanted to, to um, firstly welcome you to 54 St James Street and also <coughs> welcome you to the women's organisation. My name is Maggie and I'm the chief executive here and um, I'm really delighted that uh, you've taken the opportunity to come out and share your uh, experience as lead, women leaders and uh, entrepreneurs and community activists, and all of those brilliant things that you are as individuals uh, today. Because it's not just a we have got an exceptional panel of experts here today. And uh, I'm not going to steal their, their thunder. Uh, this this uh, is going to be chaired uh, very ably by Pamela Ball indeed herself an exceptional woman. But What what we're really delighted is that as a community of women that we have an opportunity to get together and to also to really start to share and to work as collaborative uh, in terms of promoting um, uh, women's enterprise and also wider women's economic development issues. And other issues that are... uh, pertinent and relevant to uh, women in today's society, um, we've got a little bit of building work my <laughs> just in case you didn't notice. Um, there's nothing we can do about it. I've been over, I've had a word. <laughs> but, uh, clearly that didn't work. Um, but, uh, but please do forgive us. Maybe we should all go over. <laughs> Last time I was over there, I was like saying, if I hear any more wolf whistling, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, no, but seriously, uh, today is an important day because it's, an important, it's the start of uh, uh, enterprise and cities as part of the International Festival of Business. It's also uh, very important because what, we ha- what we're we also going to be part of is a global platform today, and one of our, uh, our uh, colleagues... Um, between uh, John is going to take a little bit about that later, but just in terms of the context for this particular uh, international festival of business, uh, women's contribution to that is absolutely hugely important. And we've got there's a range of events going on, and we've got you know a very brilliant event happening on Wednesday in the city as well. Simone Roach is is, 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 uh, is leading on that, and that's the Women's First com- uh, Conference in. Um, at the marriage. So I just wanted to make you aware that you should be really sort of keeping your ear to the ground about what's going on in the city because there are things that will be able to assist you, uh, that you'll be able to, to develop your, your context, your networks, perhaps uh, do business with, or uh, develop your business context, but moreover uh, develop your knowledge and your learning as well. So just, just uh, keep an eye out because there's some great stuff, and some of it's free. So kind of as today we're an opportunity to, uh, to put on this event. Now this event is a co-hosted uh, event uh, with uh, our colleagues from downtown and business that we're working with uh, this week uh, and we work with on a long-term basis to promote women's <coughs> enterprise and women's economic development. And we do a lot of lobbying and advocacy both uh, here locally but also nationally and at European level. Uh, and I wanted to also note and thank uh, our other uh, Partners and stakeholders, uh, NatWest and RBS, who have also been working with us in terms of promoting this agenda as well. And I'm really delighted to be able to announce that we've been um, selected, the Women's Organisation has been selected as uh, a national award winner of um, uh, of their uh, Inspiring Enterprise Awards, and uh, 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 they've kindly been. Funded us to uh, continue our work here as our charity, so that's just been announced, and we're very pleased to be able to continue to work with you. But we wanted to acknowledge your uh, commitment to the women's enterprise agenda uh, uh, on an ongoing basis, anyway. So thank you for that. And um, of course, it is also about you know the the collaboration, and we've got an exceptional collaboration with the What I See project. And uh, I'm not sure that. Edwina Dunn needs a, a, any sort of, of, of uh, introduction. Just incredibly uh, uh, you know we welcome, she's just an incredible woman in her own right. We welcome her back for the second time to the Women's Organisation. We're delighted to have you back. Um, but is going to tell you a little bit about um, about the one See project and it just really is a truly innovative uh, contribution to the area of uh, <coughs> development and women's uh, participation, I think, uh, uh, and, and set it in a, in a global stage as well. But before I hand over to, um, to Edwina, uh, I just want to thank you for taking the time to come together. But also, thank you for making the investment in yourself to come to learn from and to learn from each other, but also to learn from a really inspiring uh, panel. And a panel that individually and collectively I admire greatly um, in terms of their uh, ability to be able to uh, share their knowledge, but also to be uh, and their willingness to share their knowledge. Um, but incredibly, um, uh, inc- you know, incredibly successful, but also incredibly accessible, and I think that's very important as well. So um, I'd like you. I'd like to now to say I hope you enjoy the afternoon. I want to hand over to. Our chairwoman for and facilitator, um, Pamela Ball, and thank you for uh, taking the time out to work with us today. My pleasure. So, thank, thank
1: you. you. Um, a bit about me. Um, I am your facilitator today. No, I'm not from Liverpool. I speak American and Scouts. That's a lie. I don't. But. I have lived here a long time, very proud to have gotten my British citizenship a couple weeks ago, so I'm a dual citizen. Um, (laughs) Two of the freest nations on earth, and I I am very proud uh, of that. Um, I'm not going to go into my journey too much. My bio is in there. I currently am chief executive of a charity based in Knowsley, and our job is to inspire local, voluntary, and community action using ingenuity and leadership. And every word, that means something to us. We seek to be um, local leaders, as well as engage Pan Merseyside with organizations like the Women's Orb as well as nationally. Um, And our goal is to connect people, places, and things within our locality, locally, um, regionally, and nationally. So if you want to know more about that, I'll be around at the end. And thank you, Maggie, for the honor of asking me to help facilitate your day today. So I've been really looking forward to this. My role is to facilitate you today, so we'll try to stop any riots from happening. (laughs) Um, And I'm hoping we can have a really meaningful and vibrant discussion around journeys to success for women. And it is about women specifically today, since we have women mainly on our panel. And also some of the discussion maybe around, is it different for women or not? We'll see how that goes. Okay, that's enough of that stuff. All the housekeeping and about me, and um, let me introduce the panel to you. This is Penny Froling. She is a partner at Ernest and Young, now called EY. I understand. So, and I think she may have had the longest <laughs> name of our <her> panel <laughs> This is Karen Gallagher, MBE. She is the artistic director of Merseyside Dance mm-hmm. Initiative. And sitting next to me is Edwina Dunn, who is founder and director of the What I See Project. She's co-founder of the Tesco Club Card, and she also is currently working with the government private sector on an initiative to try to get students into science and math, correct? Um, As field. Thank you. Thank you.
2: So I won't say too much. I was uh, lucky, privileged enough to come up here uh, a few months ago and share something about the project at that time. Of all the things I've done, the one that I think will stay with me and last with me for, I hope, the rest of my working life is the What I See Project. It's about the voices of women, the stories of women, and how truly amazing they are. I think it's our responsibility to inspire the young girls of the future and telling our stories is how we do that. Thank you. Thank
1: you. So that kind of sets the framework for part of why we're here today and and sets the framework to have those conversations, hopefully in a trusting environment where we can (coughs) really learn from each other. The um, panel, I could give you an intro on each panel member, but you have their bios and your programs. And also, the next thing we're going to do is they're going to share with you their journey. We're calling it the journey from good to great. It's their personal j- journeys. Um, and from that, we'll begin to build the conversation we're going to have later today. Okay. So we'll start with Penny, if that's all right. Sure. Sure. Um, And Penny, as I said, is a partner at Ernest & Young, and she's going to now share with you her journey from good to great. Thank
3: you, Penny. Do we have to stand at the podium, or do do we just stand? can Stand wherever you want. (laughs) It is a tribute to Maggie O'Carroll's powers of persuasion and charm um, (laughs) that I'm here today, because I honestly don't like talking about myself very much. Um, but, uh, so, but I will give it a go. So, my name's Penny Froling. Um I'm yet another American, so mm-hmm. I have to torture you with another flat American accent. And mine's particularly bad because my voice is so incredibly deep. Um, so, if, if you start nodding off because I sound like the flat line <laughs> of the EKG, um, because I do have a fairly monotonous voice, I will try to intonate a bit. That's one of the things I've, I've forced myself to learn to do. Um, Fairly successfully, standing up straight is something that I think I've failed at fairly (laughs) badly, Um, but we're still working on that. So anyway, um, I'm American. I've lived in the UK for 20 years now. I came here in 1996. Um, I also have a British passport, so I have the best of both worlds. I have American and British citizenship. Um, I live in central London, and I have a husband who I've been married to for 20 years. He's an architect. And I have an 11-year-old little boy who is a fanatical football fan um, and a Manchester United fan, which is probably not a good thing to say, and <laughs> Liverpool. No lie. No lie. So I apologize for that in advance. Uh, and I have a dog and a cat, a um, basset hound named Otis, and a cat named Stella who likes to kill small furry creatures, particularly at this time of year. Um, and I, my hobbies, I'm a big tennis player, I'm a fanatical sports fan, I love to cook, I love wine, all that, all that good stuff, as, as Maggie well knows. So I'm 50 years old, so I had a big birthday last year, and I do think that when you turn... Fifty, you get somewhat reflective on what's going on in your life and your career, and the fact you might need some eyelid surgery and all of that (laughs) kinds of things, skin elasticity, all of those kind of things. Um, My my career has kind of operated in this weird ten-year increments, and that is completely serendipitous. Um, I think a a couple things that are important when I reflect on my career is. in the 30 years that I've been working, I never ever had a systematic plan that says, I will do this by this age, I want this promotion, I will have a child by this age, I will be married by this age. I've never, I've never really done that, um, which I think is, is on reflection, is, is an interesting finding about myself. The key themes about my career is I'm all about intellectual stimulation and learning, so that informs everything I've done and every decision I've ever made from a career standpoint and as part of that, that learning um, I need to work with smart people but they have to have the right kind of ethics. I love building teams and I love starting new things and again that informs every decision that I have made. I don't think it's been conscious but when I, I sat down on the train to write this timeline it, it became very clear why I do what I do so Thank you for having me because it's, it's some light bulbs have actually gone off. So, I've been in management consulting for the past 20 years. And I'm, did you guys, uh, I'm assuming everybody knows what management consultants are and what they do. Um, you know, we, we advise clients on really difficult problems. So, I became a partner at Ernst Young in January. I've been a partner in consulting for probably almost 10, 10 years now. Typically, there are only 7% women partners in consulting firms. So there's very few of us that survive and stick around. We're similar to um, probably MDs and banks, as well as partners in law firms, and just very few people that that make the journey and stick around in the profession. Then I advise banks, so my particular area of expertise is wealth management, asset management, I do a lot of work in the pension sector, so anything on decumulation. So anything that is going through massive inflection points or regulatory change where there's a massive amount of ambiguity is what gets me out of bed in the morning. I absolutely love it. I was brought into Ernst & Young to build their strategy team for them in the UK because Ernst & Young is also at his inflection point saying, we need to grow, we don't do strategy work we need to build teams and capabilities, and that's what I'm doing for them right now. So I'm very lucky, I inherited a team of 30 people, some of whom probably don't have the right profile, um, some of whom do, but I have to reshape them, and I have a remit to bring in probably 10 to 20 people. I'm starting to do, do things, at, um, once again, at the European level. I've worked at pretty much every single country, um, that you can imagine, including Saudi Arabia advising Capital Markets Authority on the opening of their markets to foreign direct investment. I don't have to wear a headscarf, that's an important thing to know when you're working in Saudi Arabia, you just wear an abaya. Um, And because I was working directly for the government, it was, you know, absolutely fine. Although it's not particularly fun to be working in Riyadh and when wheels up go up and you can finally have a glass of champagne after (laughs) a week. Um, It feels very, very good. So anyway, um, I started my career at Citibank in 1986 when the banks were just beginning to deregulate. Um, and I work in the consumer bank, if anybody's in financial services and knows anything about Citibank, their CEO at the time, it's a guy by the name of John Reed, who is incredibly inspirational, and he's the guy that said, consumer banks can make tons of money and can be technologically enabled. So we're doing stuff that was very cutting edge, pretty much almost 30 years ago, and I was very privileged to work in that kind of environment with an amazing group of people, um, including women. And we recruited women from tons of different industries. We had a woman that used to be a tap dancer who was our head of strategic planning. We had another woman who worked for Richardson Vicks who came in because we like fast-moving consumer goods um, people. We had another woman from Avon that um, kept comparing investment products to different colored lipsticks and how women (laughs) chose lipsticks. which kind of shook up our managing director a bit, but it actually all worked really, really effectively. And I stayed at City for 10 years, and the reason why I wound up leaving it is I, I just, there were too many reorganizations, and we kept writing the same deck over and over and over again for different bosses with different um, buzzwords of the week. So, Turbo was a big one about Turbo and growth. And then, you know, the next guy would come in and we'd change turbocharge to some other you know, silly expression. Uh, it was kind of like being in 1984 with Winston Smith, you know, eliminating, the, uh, eliminating certain words in the Ministry of Information. And I just, I got bored. I said, I'm not learning anymore. And I just, some of the people I were less um, energized to work for. I've been doing a ton of international work and decided to go back and get my MBA at IMD in Switzerland, which caters to more experienced managers. So your typical MBA is about 28, 29 years old. I was 32 at the time. Um, I had been married for one year, and my husband and I picked up sticks, moved to Switzerland, Um, and after a year in Switzerland, I came to the UK and joined a company called Gemini Consulting. And the reason I kind of went to consulting by default, to be honest with you, because I did not want to go back in industry. Um, I didn't want to go to a bank, and I felt that if I went into consulting, I would learn a lot. I'd do it for a couple of years, and um, I'd go back into a bank or something. Well, 20 years later, um, I'm still in management consulting, and I found a profession that's absolutely perfect for me because it's, it feeds that intellectual element of me, which is constantly about challenge, ambiguity and learning and as I've gotten more advanced in my career um, I've gotten to do other things around teaching people and building teams which has become I think kind of if you think about good to great and what good to great means uh, the ability to teach people and build teams and really have an impact on people's lives and careers is incredibly important to me so I guess when I think about my career probably over the past six years the thing that's making it go, what I think is great about it, um, because I would never, the word great is a funny word, you know, I would never ever say I'm great um, in a million years, (laughs) but you know, when I think about do I feel really good right now at the place that I'm in, um, yeah, I think so, Um, and I was privileged to be able to take six months off last year because I, I went from a company called Booze to Ernst & Young. Booze was sold to PwC and um, you know, again, had, a, had an atmosphere which wasn't exactly conducive to learning or building teams or feeling valued. So I was able to take six months off. And in that six months, I joined a angel investing network. So I'm part of a team that invests in early-stage funding for high-tech startups. And I'm part of the strategy team and the screening committee, working with a very small group of people um, on, on all of these startups. We are a women-focused angel investing network so we look for women co-founded businesses When our, our deal flow is just unbelievable uh, and it's a fantastic thing to be involved in. I met Maggie because I was, became involved in um, Oxford University's power shift around women and women entrepreneurs. I'm having an article published at Oxford um, in the fall on a piece of primary research I did on female high growth entrepreneurs and the characteristics of them. Um, which is a really fun thing to do. Um, I think most importantly, I got to pick my son up at school every day, um, which is great, and when my son heard that I was able to take six months off, he looked at me and said, Mom, the only time you have ever picked me up at school was when I was in trouble. <laughs> which is, which is, Yeah, which is like, you know, out of the mouths of babes, but it's, um, it was just a fantastic thing to be able to do is pick him up at school every day. Um, I was less energized by the mommy network and some of the stuff that goes on and found that I was completely, when I back, went back to work, I was completely cut off from all of that stuff when I went back to work because it, it's just it's a very odd dynamic, that, and was quite insightful. Um, but the other thing I found in that, that network is there's a ton of women who like me, who are in a similar age group to me, about 45 to 50, who have left jobs, who are at a career inflection point, they're looking for that on-ramp at senior levels. And I'm helping a couple of them network with the Angel Networks, and it's just, it's a very, very interesting, important part of life. So honestly, I think the thing that has really made me feel quite centered in my career is having this Oxford element I do, having met Maggie, being able to speak to you, being in a position where I'm actually able to build a team where I can publish, and I'm, a, I'm far more rounded in my, my family life, so that's kind of me right now. That's
1: great. Thank you. That's great. Thank you, Penny. Thank you, Penny. Next, we're going to turn to Karen Gallagher.
4: This will be short and sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Good afternoon, everybody. I'm delighted to be here. Um, As you can hear from the accent, yes, I am a Mm Scouser, and my journey from child to now has really mostly been here in Liverpool. Um, I was born just a stone's throw away, just on London Road, um, to a very working-class family. Interestingly, um, I kind of think I've got here, Sometimes by fluke, and I know Maggie has been my mentor from town to town. She goes, nothing's out by fluke, you've got there because of what you do. And I, you know, and I feel very proud of what I do. Uh, but I think I've just been looking at some of the opportunities that I've had um, as a growing up and in the career that I've chosen, and I think in those choices that I've made and created along the way. Um, I also start to consider about grace. I never ever think of myself as great or even good, very often. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm very misbehaved, I think. Um, And I'm not sure that it really describes me, although most recently, uh, my son's in Japan at the moment, and um, it was my birthday, and he sent me a little video link and uh, had me in tears because he was rapping away about how wonderful he thinks I am, and he called me Wonder Mom, so I think I'm doing something right, so I feel Mm -hmm. quite proud of that. Um, and I think lately, over the last sort of four years or so, when you sort of read uh, my CV, I've suddenly been getting all these accolades and endorsements, and sometimes I don't know why. Um, but obviously, I'm having greatness <laughs> thrust upon me. So um, perception is everything, I think. Sometimes, um, so my journey. Uh, I come from a a predominantly an all-women's family. Um, My grandfather died at 52 in the 50s, and my dad died when I was six months old um, in the 60s. So I was brought up with my mum, my nan, and all my aunties all in the one house, little tenement down the road. And I think they've really kind of been very much a part of who I am, and enabled me to be the independent person that I am today, and I thank them all the time. and so I think at that point, very working class in the city centre, um, <coughs> at a local school, um, suddenly got the 11 plus and was kind of then sort of jettisoned into a grammar school in the leafy suburbs of Walton. Mm-hmm. So that kind of displacement in itself, I think, created a real frisance in terms of me and who I am suddenly being in this leafy suburb. Um, but I think that's where I really began to find my voice. Um, I found what I was really passionate about. I found that people always wanted me to lead in this particular area. And that area, of course, is dance. Um, and I've kind of been in dance near enough most of my career. I think uh, there are times when I've kind of, when I've started to consider what have I been doing with my life. I'm kind of quite goal orientated. And I realize when I started to kind of do this checkpoint about where have I been, what have I done? I've kind of stopped everything on a Friday and then started something new on the Monday. So I left school on the Friday. On the Monday, I'm in the NHS doing (laughs) administration. At the same time, still doing lots of dancing at John Moore's University. And I think they found some really wonderful... um, influences for my career. Um, Irene Dilks, who was a contemporary dancer um, with um, the Martha Graham Company in New York. Again, from here, from the region, set up London Contemporary Dance School. And then Elroy Josephs, jazz dancer, first black male in the West End. So I had some really interesting artists to kind of use as role models. Then, so so I kind of left the NHS on the Friday, and then on the Monday, I'm in London, at the Larbon Centre. Hopefully going to be a dancer. But it didn't quite work out. Not because I don't think I was good. I was great. (laughs) I think it was because... It didn't. It, the performance side didn't really interest me. The thought of getting on the stage every night, sort of doing the same thing, wasn't what I wanted to do. Although I know you have to find that inner self and performer and create and change and challenge yourself on the stage. And and those people who do that are extremely talented and wonderful, and I take my hat off to them. But for me, I found what I was more interested in was the community side of dance. How dance really began to impact on people's lives, and um, how I could transform people's lives straight away, face-to-face, just through getting them to move alongside me. And so I, I became very interested in the community dance practice and became a dance amateur. And I started to, aside from being on the course, I'd like go disappearing off and say, oh no, I'm, I don't need to come to class today, I'm going to set up a dance class in Hackney with some, some older people or whatever, you know, I was always out and about. Um, and so then I left and on the Friday, on the Monday, came back home to Liverpool and I was the um, community dance artist of the Unity Theatre and I go a long way with the Unity Theatre, many tales that I won't even go into at the moment that uh, have brought me and the Unity together over the years. And, but I was still also freelancing <coughs> around Merseyside because I was, I was, I was part time and I worked from the Unity to the Disability Arts Unit which is now um, the Dada Fest and again really began to consider that dance could make a difference with people regardless of their various abilities in terms of how they moved or how they thought. And that was kind of really quite instrumental for me. And so from there I got my first full time job at Second Out Theatre Workshop and I was the Dance and Mime tutor. And for me again that was another <coughs> one of those light bulb moments about how you affect change. I was there teaching Dance and Mime. But it was very much about beginning to develop other people's ability to be themselves. So we weren't expecting these young people who were on this training scheme to you know, to become actors or dancers of the future, we just wanted them to feel confident in themselves. And most of those young people who are now in their 40s um, kind of got jobs, all got jobs from it. They were all involved in some kind of either artistic practice or business. And for me, that was really important because I knew I'd, I'd effected some change just by being there, which was fantastic. From there, I went on to Cheshire Dance and I became um, the assistant director. Now, I know that titles don't matter, but this one kind of suddenly went, oh, I've gone up a level here, you know, I've been a dance tutor. I then went from the dance tutor to managing, seconds out, so I missed that bit out, and then I became the assistant director. And I started to really consider. I'm really going (laughs) to go over that
0: point. Large (laughs) scale, I just keep chatting,
4: large scale projects. And I think Cheshire Dance was another turning point for me, because. It very much took dance, for me, into a, into a different direction. It wasn't just the community practice. It was about beginning to consider the art form and how the art form was being appreciated. So I set up with the venues, a whole touring um, development project where commu- professional artists were actually coming in to Cheshire itself to tour around the venues, as well as doing still all that community practice. I think it also kind of began to make me c- to consider... What influences did we need to make? Because we're all, these were small arts organisations, you know? And it was kind of, how do you get that message across to those people that matter? How can you influence them to engage with you more and to invest in what you're wanting to do? So it's very much about learning about local government practice, educational systems, and again, my nemesis, introduction to fundraising. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. And then from Cheshire Dance, I came to MDI. And um, as was said, it's Merseyside Dance Initiative. We have rebranded. MDI. It's no longer Merseyside Dance Initiative because we felt that it, it becomes too provocative as an organisation and we want MDI to become a word in its own right which just means great dance basically so we'll see how we go with that um, and I think Wherever I've worked, I've just tried to increase my skills. So over that time, yes, I, I kind of got the 11 plus. Yes, I went off to Larbon. But in 2006, and that was when I met Maggie, I did my MA in social enterprise, because I really wanted to kind of consider how the arts can be engaged in business. It is a business in its own right, and it tends to be overlooked. You, you tend to be thought that you're in a subsidised sector. But at the end of the day, those people who are providing the grants or the subsidy It's actually for their benefit, so they're investing in you. And I kind of really want to kind of break down those barriers of that type of language. It's an investment to to continue the work. As I say, I started MDI um, 20 years ago. It was just me and a little bit of um, admin support. And so, 20 years on, the the team is still quite small. It's still a small art organisation. There are six of us permanently. But we work with about 30 freelance artists throughout the year. We produce events and festivals. and I think you know my day can be anything from making everybody a cup of tea to you know being on national television, receiving a water with that young lady in the corner there. So it's a very diverse, um, it's a very diverse organisation to work for. And I think my roles throughout have kind of just developed from being a performer, a teacher, a choreographer to being a manager, an artistic director, a CEO. And I've just kind of learnt as I've gone on the job. I've just been a bit of a sponge, taking it all on, done a few courses. And I think the key thing for me is the people that surround me. So I'm always surrounded by the family that I mentioned. I'm always surrounded by really good colleagues who support me to do what I do really well, and I hope I support them too. And I think in conclusion for me, I think my whole life journey has just been about something that I really love, and I know that I'm really lucky to do that. So thank you.
1: Thank you, Karen. And last but certainly not least, we'll finish up with the autobiographical part of this um, afternoon with uh, what you speaking about herself.
2: Um, Yeah, well, where do I start? I mean, Good to Great, I think that's a fantastic book, and I don't know whether you've all read it, but it is an amazing book. And I like it because it sets the bar really high, and, and I think if you don't aim high in life, you never get to the place you really, I think, deeply want to be. So whatever it is, I love the idea because great, you can't be embarrassed or modest about. It kind of says great, and that's an embarrassing, hard word, particularly for women, I think, and that's why I love it so much. So I'm going to interpret in the what is great about my life now, and I'm a little bit older than these two, so I'm not comfortable it? Why should I? It wasn't part of the deal. (laughs) Um, There are two things that are are great about where I am now. One is I had the opportunity to retire three years ago. Uh, We sold the business we'd set up and in fact we had a year off and it was utterly fantastic I have to say. It was, I'm really sorry if you haven't had that moment yet but I am quite old as I've already said and um, it was the most sublime moment and a year off was deep joy absolutely wonderful but retirement's over (laughs) over whatever the word is it's oversubscribed it's not that much fun and it's much more exciting following your dreams and finding something else that you want to be great at and I truly believe that so that's a privilege, and I recognize it as a privilege, and, and it's one I, um, I never stop thanking my lucky stars for. Um, I think the second thing that's great is I can now look back on my career and post-rationalize everything I've done as if it was a fantastic strategy, and it wasn't. It really wasn't. Um, I'd love to say it was. I, I had some lucky breaks, and most importantly of all, I think you do work very hard and I think the women in this room, I think you probably and the gentlemen, sorry, uh, there are two of you at least, um, I'm sure you all work very hard. I think you know it is strange how the harder you work the luckier you get. Um, it, it takes a, a lot of effort to be lucky. Um, but, um, you know, I didn't start out like that. I mean, I was really bad at school, and I used to get really terrible school reports, and I certainly wasn't um, gifted. I didn't go into a fantastic company as part of a graduate trade. I did go to university, but it was a kind of... Mm, slightly also ran. Um, and, you know, I went to work, and it was like magic. I decided I loved it, and it was the first thing I was really good at, and it was just brilliant. I was excited. I loved it. I worked for a fantastic company. They taught me. I mean, this is way back. I started work in the 90, in 1980, um, and I worked for a very enlightened American company. Actually, thank you, America. And it was, um, you know, it was all about you can be anything. It doesn't matter how old you are, and it certainly doesn't matter if you're female you can, you know, if you do it, you'll get um, the attention and the rewards, and it it taught me a lot, so I had a fantastic time. Um, I stayed there nine years, and then my husband, who I'd met there on the first day, and thought, he was nice. Um, I I married, and that was um, you know, over 30 years ago. And people today will say, well, it's really good what you did with the business, and well done, well done. But what's really amazing is you're still married to your husband. <laughs> <laughs> and you've worked with him for 30 years. And it's true. I mean, that is the amazing thing, really. Um, he's everything I'm not. He is... Um, a computer scientist, he's uh, uh, a mathematician, he does all the clever science bit, but if I ask him to ring someone up on the phone, he nearly faints (laughs) with fear and says, absolutely no way, doesn't want to talk to anybody, doesn't want to do all of that. So we're, you know, we've always been a great balance, and it's been a lot of fun, because you know, he's got my back, and I've got his. Um, we have two children they're an absolute joy if you ask me as I'm sure any mum, auntie sister in the room what's the most important thing of course it's your children and so the rest is great they're amazing they're now starting their lives and careers I've pushed them towards science and maths because I thought it was the right thing to do but I've had a wonderful time, I've loved my work And really, the thing that moves me on is the joy of waking up thinking, what else am I going to do today, this week, next week? And that's what I love. Thank you. That
1: was great. Thank you. Just a couple observations before we move into questions. It appears to me that. Looking on paper, there may seem to be three diverse journeys here, or four. But in actuality, there were some key themes there, wasn't there? One was love what you do and or be inspired by it, intellectually stimulated, love what you do. The second was have some kind of goal or vision. You don't plan it, but somewhere along the line, you begin to say, this is what I wanna do, and it takes shape, and you begin to follow that journey, that path to success giving back somewhere along the line everybody stopped is that I'm giving something back here, that success is beginning in part to be defined by I don't want to retire, I want to give back. You know, I can work hard and give back in a wonderful, exciting, stimulating way. I can help kids reach out and understand arts can really change their lives. And fourth, but certainly not finally, was that through that all, family is important and it's okay to acknowledge family whether it's a spouse, children, the extended family that's still there for you. And so I, I, I related to that as a woman, I don't know if you did, but all of those things felt true to me in my career too, even though we all sit in very different places in the world. So thank you panel for being honest and sharing with us. Based on that, and thinking about all of these things and the journey to success, I'm gonna toss it right back at the panel and say when you look in the mirror, as in what I see. Um, Do you see a leader? And if you do, what does she look like? Then we'll invite some feedback from you.
2: Edwina? Um, Well, it's taken me a long time to work out that I think leaders, I believe good leaders are people who do not believe they're the smartest person in the room. And I, and I think it, it's really, I've always found it a joy and important to bring around me a lot of really smart people. And I think if you have smart people around you and encourage them, you know, to give them a safe environment and a really receptive environment to talk to, you get really fantastic things back from them. Um, So I've always found that really natural because I've never sat there thinking, I'm just waiting to make a point. I'm sitting there thinking, these people are actually gonna solve this. They're actually gonna work out how to do it, what to do it, what the best plan is. And I see my role as a facilitator. Um, I think recognizing when you have enough of the answer is really important. And the one thing that I do recognize I have is I don't delay to a decision. I think it's really important to be able to take a decision and stick to it. And I think, you know, it's interesting how many people are fearful of making decisions. I, I've never really worried about that because my attitude is if you take the wrong decision, if you take the wrong path, you have time to go back. And go in another direction if you agonise and wait too long the time may well have passed so I think I have a couple of attributes that, that suggest that I've always been comfortable with it, not least because um, I think if you stick to one philosophy which is hire people who are better than you are mm. actually it's never difficult mm-hmm. thank you
1: Penny, can you relate to that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I,
3: mean, I guess a, a couple observations. <coughs> There's the, are you a leader, and do you see yourself as a leader, mm-hmm. I think, which are, are two different things. So mm-hmm. clearly I am a leader, because I, I am leading and building quite a large team, um, mm-hmm. and have done that multiple times before. So I am a leader. Um, do I perceive myself as a leader? Yes, by default I have to be, and I always have um, you know, whether captaining sports or um, building teams or uh, being the person that people always look to decide. I know you're the one that can figure this out because you work hard and you're incredibly structured and you just, you know, have no fear. I mean, I think to your point, I mean, it's like I have absolutely no qualms about making considered decisions. They're always fact-based and they're always extremely well thought through because that's just who I am. Um, so yeah, I mean that's just naturally what it is. Again, I echo what you say. Is I think the most important thing you can do in life is hire people who are smarter than you, um, because that just makes the whole team that much better. And teams are always complementary. And it's a massive reflection on you to be hiring people that are smarter. So I think I think a, a less less evolved managers are threatened by people they bring in, but what what you always have to realize is that if you're bringing in fantastic people, that's kudos to you, and that's just something that's always incredibly important to to remember. I couldn't agree more.
4: Garrett? Yeah, yeah I, think, I think I've naturally fallen into leadership within the context of the work that I do. Um, I can be quite controlling, though, <laughs> which is I have to watch sometimes, but I'm also... I'm quite happy to fail, and I think to learn from that. I think it can be quite difficult, especially in the work that we do in the arts, there isn't always that recognition of failure in the same way as maybe some businesses, or in particular in science, you don't get those opportunities to fail. You've always got to succeed, it's always got to be the best, it's always got to be fantastic. So it's having, the, having a context of, of how you work and where you work is really important. I think it's, it's, it's interesting, the whole thing, about having people better than you. Um, and I think it's, that's important but it's also important to acknowledge that if it's not working to, to be able to make those decisions to know that the person that you've got working with you isn't the right person to be to be with you and that's all, also kind of balancing that side of it out. Um, I'm quite strong-minded as a person and I think like Penny was saying I've always been one of those people who've gone, oh, Karen will get on with it, Karen will do it, she's really hard-working. I remember once actually um, you know, because I live here in, 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 in the city, and there was one year when we were going off to Notre Dame, which was the school I was at in Button, and it was snowing, and I mean it was like heavy snow. Nothing was getting through there. You know, it's a six-mile hike, and I made all these kids follow me. Come on, we're going. <laughs> off we go to school. And we all got to school, and the teachers were like you doing here at least? We were absolutely yeah. shattered, but I was determined <coughs> as we were okay. going. You know, so there's that element of determination in me. And I think if I was to look in the mirror, I do always see that kind of strong, black, independent woman okay. um, which kind of defines me quite a lot. Great.
1: Are there any um, questions about leadership um, you'd like to ask um, the panel? Just some observations again. I hear this again, the same and similar um, message, which is you do perceive yourselves as leaders. You're quite strong women and quite determined, that sounds like. You've learned to cut your losses, make decisions, cut your losses, and move on when you need to. And that you hire people who are smarter than you. um, And that you're happy to prototype, to fail, to to keep on um, doing that that ongoing learning cycle in order to further the business or your career, or the careers of those around you. Would that be accurate? Do you think, Karen, that based on all of that, that leadership looks different for a woman than for a man? Do you think it looks different?
4: I think the way we go about our business can be different in terms of the way we engage with people and the partnerships that we build. Um, Unfortunately, it is still very male-dominated in in terms of a lot of the businesses that we're involved in, and it's kind of how do you break that scene. It would be interesting Mm -hmm. to hear about that. And I know very much from an art perspective, even though from a dance specifically you consider it to be very female orientated, when in fact as you start to get higher up the rungs of choreographers, artistic Mm -hmm. directors, venue owners, it's men, Mm -hmm. you know, and and it's quite interesting now, I have made a a real effort to ensure that I am around most tables in this city where change is happening, because I think until you can begin to do that, then change is not going to happen. I think it is slightly different. I think women do have a, a different sort of empathy or yeah. a way of working. That can also encourage success, but I also think there's not enough of us up there percentage-wise to be making maybe the difference yeah. that we could be making. I'm, I'm conscious of time here, and
1: I, I do, do want to ask a kind of pointed question, <laughs> because I had told Maggie earlier today, selfishly, it was on, on my radar, that I wanted to, to um, uh, pick the the, the the brains of the panel about, and because we are talking about Um, journeys today and what looks like success and how do you get there. So I'm I'm going to, and I'm sure it'll lead to some discussion that will take us to the end of our time, um, which will be in the next 15 minutes. But And it's a very personal question. All of these are personal questions, because I think one thing I want to emphasize, kind of sitting on the edge and here and here and here and there, is that I would want to emphasize that there's no wrong journey, is there? It's about the route you take. Um, and how you get there and then sharing that learning. And sometimes you'll find something where you have something in common or not, you know. and and from that you can learn. And I think that's the benefit of networking or relationships or connections or whatever we talk about is that you can can learn from that, though, sort of thing. So the question I have for the panel, that's nice to see, thank you for coming, um, is what does success look like to you? And it's not a bog-standard question, it's really not. What it is is I think we all define success differently. Um, for myself right now, I took a deliberate decision to downsize, not upsize my career. I do still need to work. Even though I think I'm the oldest person at this table, I figured out through some deduction here. So, but I do know, need to still work. Um, and for me, success has been about blending family are, or private life and, and work life into a really nice piece of synergy where it all fits together and there's a lot of serendipity. For me, that's how I've begun to define success in my life. Some people, it may be money. Some people, it may be where you live. <coughs> Some people, it may be the product you finally develop that does it for you. So I would throw that to the panel and say, for you, on your journey, what does success look like to you?
2: So, so for me, it's about doing something innovative. That's my only measure. If I can't do something that is original and has value and resonance within the business market and I am not solely but but, but highly business focused. It, 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 you know, I, for me it's about the bringing something new in and doing it wholeheartedly. In my working life, I um, I like to think that everything we've ever done has made things a little bit better for customers. It's not saving the world, it's not even saving, no. It's, but a little bit better. So it declutters or it gives a little incentive. So it's a good thing, um, and you know, with it comes something positive. And then through this project, um, and, and the STEM subjects, I think it's about encouraging other people, and particularly women, to be all that they can be, be more, choose more, aim higher, things like that,
4: and that, to me, would be fantastic. Uh, I think, for me, a couple of things. I think on a... On a business level, in terms of the work that I'm doing now, I'm just happy to break even on a budget, to be honest. (laughs) Success is breaking Um, even, yeah. yeah, (laughs) So success is uh, exceeding that is even better because then it gets reinvested back into the organisation. But I think it, it is about kind of having a plan and being able to, each year, achieve what you've set out to do at the beginning of that year. And um, on a really ambitious level, success will look like when we have a dance house for Liverpool and a really vibrant dance sector. And on a personal level, just to see my son settled, happy, really. uh, Married or not, children or not, don't mind it if I'm not a grandmother. But, yeah. (laughs) And Penny? Um, uh, There's a
3: couple different answers to that. I mean, with what I'm doing now, for EY, it's building a very successful team of people who are um, like to work together, who do uh, just great work that's recognized in the marketplace that the rest of the organization looks to and respects. So that's, that's success in my current role. Uh, From a career standpoint, it's keeping this balance between what I do at EY, what I do as an angel investor, um, maintaining uh, what I do with uh, entrepreneurship and continuing to publish and that kind of thing is really important. And from my personal, life, I think it's just, it's having a... One or two, depending, on homes that, you know, in different climates that have a really, really good view of the ocean. I'll be over. Um, that are, that yeah. my son, when he's older, always wants to come back to ah. because his parents are really cool. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that are filled with friends. Yeah. So that, to me, is what success yeah. is. Yeah. And maybe getting my eyelids done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, watch your photos. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. If I look like John <laughs> Rivers, you can see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: uh,
1: What does success look like what's you? What does like for you? What? Sure. A success for me? Well, I think some of it is that I'm working closer to home now and and um, and able to give back to both my personal life and my career uh, more more linked up, you know. and Personally, you know, I came here to marry a scouser, so yeah, making the time finally after being here 11 years to actually spend some time with that man. That's a nice thing for me. Um, he's hes quite amazed. He's like, who are you? And are you the woman I married? I don't recognize you, so that's quite nice. Um, and I have kind of children all over the world right now. <laughs> Literally, I have one at home down the road, and I have I have one uh, in California and one in Boston. And and yeah, you always want the best for your kids, don't you? But I, I think it's about... Um, for me, success has been defined as I've become more myself as I got older, the more I've been more sincere and able to accept who I am and be genuine about who I am and say that's an okay thing to sit here and share with this room full of mostly strangers. Um, and so for me, success has been about becoming my authentic self, which sounds very highfalutin and Maslow-y, I know, but I think that's the benefit of age. I think the benefit of age is, I think my 50s are great, I'm 56, did I beat you, Edwina? Yeah. No. Just. Just. (laughs) (laughs) 57. I thought so. I figured it out. So, you know, that at 56 I can be who I am, I can sit here in this room full of folks in England and a world far away from where I started and say it's okay to be you and that when I mentor younger women and I mentor business people or enterprise or other charities, no matter what you do, it's about being authentic and being yourself. And we have to really, what I love about this is it's giving people, you know, isn't that permission, to be who you are yeah. and sharing that with the world, which may be the most perfect piece of segue and wrap-up I've ever done, maybe. What do you think? It was How was that?
0: Was it was that did that work or It well? was
1: beautiful. Totally on <laughs>